Hi, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. Uh, this Tonight's episode, we're going to look at uh, bricks and stones. Um, essentially, the repointing of brick and stone walls, a vital part of, of my work at, at the historic preservationist, whether it be on the Shivers House Museum located in historic Woodstown, New Jersey, or many of numerous clients throughout the Tri-County area in southern New Jersey. So let us, uh, let us get started. Repointing brick and stone walls. The appearance of brick and stone masonry owes as much to the character of the mortar joints as to the stone and bricks themselves. Unsuitable repointing can affect not only the look, but also the durability of masonry, and is amongst the most frequent causes of damage to the character and fabric of historic buildings. The comprehensive repointing of a building is rarely necessary. Generally, only those parts that are most exposed to the weather or are affected by specific problems, such as leaking rainwater, pipes, or gutters, are likely to be in the need of attention. Sound historic mortar should be left undisturbed as it can be an important part of the character and significance of a building's original fabric and history. So this discussion is aimed at homeowners and non-specialist building professionals. And uh, I'm gonna provide a brief technical guide to the key issues and stages that need, be, need to be considered when repointing brick or stone walls of older buildings. So let's talk about what is pointing. Pointing is the process of filling the outer part of the joints between masonry units with mortar. So masonry mortars can be obviously bricks or stones or combinations thereof. This can be done either as work proceeds by striking off the bedding mortar flush with the face of the masonry or as a separate exercise in the outer part of the bedding mortar which has been deliberately left recessed or is raked back from the surface. For brickwork and stonework, the width, profile, and texture of the joints affect their visual character. Often these respond to locally available materials and can have a local distinctiveness. So a very, very important point. Um, you know, so when you're, when you're gonna do the restoration or conservation on brickwork, you need to source quarries or uh, salvage yards who may have that uh, type of brick or stone available. Uh, over the centuries, however, bricklayers have always tried to make their work look as regular and even as the bricks are working with which they would allow. From the Tudor to the Elizabethan periods onwards, there was a trend towards increasingly narrowing the joints as bricks of more consistent size and shape became readily available. Joint width was associated with status. The higher the quality of the brickwork, the narrower the joints would be, culminating in gauge work when joints can be less than a millimeter wide. The profile of mortar joints can also contribute greatly to the appearance, regularity, and uniformity of brickwork, particularly when the joint widths vary due to the irregularities of the bricks. It can also make the joints appear narrower, as the case of penny-struck joints or tuck pointing. Similarly, 
High quality stonework features narrow joints at regular even surfaces in lower status work, such as random rubble walls, joint, and the joints would often be filled flush with mortar spreading onto the surface of the stone to give the wall a smoother or even appearance. Regular lime washing enhanced the effect and gave protection to the surface. Two modern styles of pointing are often found on older masonry, but should be avoided as they give the joint too much emphasis against the masonry. They also tend to be associated with hard cement-based mortars. So let's say, why is pointing important? The mortar joint is not only the key part of the appearance and character of the masonry wall, it also helps to keep the building dry. It does this in two ways by preventing rainwater finding its way into the core of the wall or even to the inside face of the building through the joints between the bricks or stones, and by allowing moisture already in the wall to dissipate once weather conditions became drier. When rainwater hits a building, some of it may be absorbed by the stone or brick and the mortar, and some is drawn into the wall via the small cracks between the masonry units and the mortar. To prevent problems occurring, this moisture needs to be available to escape back to the atmosphere once it stops raining. The most effective route is for this through permeable mortar joints. However, if the joints are not able to release the moisture as would occur in hard cement, mortar must be used then all moisture movement is concentrated in the bricks or stones, which increases the chance of frost damage or damage due to the crystallization of soluble salts. So what is repointing? Repointing is the refilling of the outer part of the joints where the previous mortar has weathered away or has been removed because it is unsuitable. Some older brick and stone buildings show signs of having been repointed at different times, often with a variety of mortar, joints, mixes, and styles. So why is it important? Repointing can significantly affect not only the look, but also the durability of the masonry. If done badly or using the wrong materials, it can damage stone and brickwork, sometimes well beyond repair. Why is repointing necessary? Masonry walls need to be able to regulate water penetration and evaporation. If the condition of the mortar joints is poor, or if the wrong mortar has been used for repointing in the past, then this has process can be compromised. There are three main reasons for repointing. Number one, mortar joints are crumbling or loose. Um, this creates quote, the, quite the structural issue for the, the dwelling in question. Uh, number two, mortar joints are open or have weathered back to such an extent that the edge of the masonry units are exposed, forming a ledge that encounters water to seep into the masonry. Number three, a hard, impermeable, cement-based mortar, which is usually gray in color, has been introduced trapping moisture and accelerating the deterioration of the masonry. Mortar of this type should only be removed if it can be done without causing even more damage to the adjoining masonry. 
The style of reporting may also be visually unsuitable. Reporting is usually only necessary on more exposed parts of a building. Low-level areas affected by rising damp or areas affected by specific problems such as leaking rainwater. So sound existing mortar should always be left alone. Lime water, mortar, lime water with some surface loss may still be performing quite well. And if it takes much effort to remove, if the chances are it needs to be replaced, it may feel a little soft, but this may still be acceptable. So this is a, a totally trial and error basis, but a lot of this has to do with a lot of experience. Where masonry is clean, clearly decaying, it is important to identify the true cause so that the correct remedies can be selected. Uh, the pointing itself may not be the cause of the problem, so the condition of the whole structure should be reviewed along with the severity of exposure, and any defects contributed to deterioration of the pointing should be remedied before repointing is carried out. So first, we really need to put parameters and decide the scope of the work. So at, at times, uh, for the homeowners out there, um, sometimes it's better to get professional help as far as a high-call preservation mason is concerned. If a visual inspect inspection indicates that some repointing may be necessary, professional help probably is required to establish how much of the wall to repoint and what type of mortar and style of repointing to use. Professional help may also be required to carry out the repointing. Going directly to a building contractor may provide the advice and service needed if the works are minimal, but it is important to find out about the contractor's experience and competency with this type of work, particularly their experience using lime mortars rather than cement mortars. Reporting may be carried out as a part of a larger work program in which case the contractor may bring in a subcontractor to carry out the reporting work. For more extensive works and for buildings that are histor historically significant, such as listed buildings or ones in a conservation area, the help of a surveyor or architect might be needed to specify and oversee the works. Although this might seem like an unnecessary expense, it can help to ensure that the work is carried out properly and avoid any expensive mistakes or failures, particularly with historical commissions. The nature and scope of work. Various issues need to be agreed before the work starts. Number one, areas requiring reporting may need to be established by physically testing the pointing. Loose mortar can be identified by tapping with a chisel. If it sounds hollow, this may indicate that the mortar has detached from the backing. This is particularly the case where the thin cement mortars have been used over older lime mortars. Number two, what different styles, profiles, textures, and colors of reporting have been carried out in the past, and are these suitable in terms of appearance and permeability for the existing masonry? Is it, is, it, is it possible to identify the original or earliest pointing? And this could also be held in check as a very a good dating principle. Uh, number three, will different mortar mixes be required for different areas? Mortar mix 
it mixes an appearance. It may be possible to find a sound example of pointing in a sheltered part of a building. For example, under the eaves or behind the downpipes, particularly in the north and east elevations, that is, contemporary with the initial construction. For domestic buildings constructed before the 20th century, this will almost certainly be a lime-based rather than a cement mortar. A close inspection of the mortar will help determine how the joints are finished and whether the aggregate is coarse or finely grained. There may be other additions, such as ash or bits of broken brick or shell, that contribute to the character of the mortar. This can then be used as a basis for designing a new mortar and joint finish to match the historic pointing. In choosing an example to copy, care should be taken to ensure that it is not later inappropriate work that was first selected. Patch reporting may initially look clean and bright compared to the surrounding original mortar that it is retaining to. Providing the new mortar mix is a good match for the existing mortar, it will soon weather to the tone and tone down so that the contrast between the old and new is quite less marked. A mortar mix that is compatible with the permeability of a particular stones or bricks in the wall and suitable for the degree of exposure should be chosen. The key principle is that the mortar should be slightly weaker and more permeable than the stone or brick. Mortar that is less permeable than the masonry, such as most cement-based mortars, will prevent moisture from evaporating out through the joints. Instead, moisture will move largely through the stones and bricks, increasing the rate of decay and leaving the hard mortar standing proud. Mortar that is harder than the masonry is at risk of cracking and causing mechanical damage to the stones or bricks. For this reason, the inclusion of any cement-rich mixes should be avoided. Mixes will vary considerably according to circumstances, and pure lime putty with no aggregate is often used. The strength of mix also needs to be related to the degree of exposure. Areas such as parapets and chimney stacks usually require relatively stronger mixes than more sheltered areas. If the building to be repointed is of particular significance, for instance, if it is listed, it may be necessary to accurately match the historic mortar by sending a sample to a specialist in historic mortars for analysis. This will give information on the aggregate and binders used in the original mix, which can be used as a guide for the repair of the mortar in question. Types of lime. There are two Two main or basic types of lime that can be used in mortar mixes. One, non-hydraulic lime. Two, natural hydraulic lime, NHL. Non-hydraulic lime is the most permeable of all binders. It hardens very slowly by reacting with carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Non-hydraulic lime mortar has good adhesive properties and can, can accommodate some movement. It is suitable for reporting in shelter locations or for use on soft, permeable masonry or brick. Non-hydraulic lime is available in two forms, lime putty and powder. Let's talk about lime putty. The best quality non-hydraulic mortars are made from mature lime putty, 
a stiff whitish colored paste which is applied in sealed plastic tubs. Pre-mixed mortars made with lime putty are also available from specialist suppliers. Lime putty and mortars and lime putty mortars can be stored indefinitely in airtight containers protected from frost. But I must add, through those containers, when you open them up and always put, uh, you know, a piece of uh, piece of plastic, a piece of, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, some uh, cooking with like cellophane and things like that. But force it over the top once something's open, whether this be dry or a wet mix you're trying to save, it's just going to maintain it much, much longer. Uh, next, non-hydraulic powdered lime known as hydrated lime. This powdered lime is widely available at builders, merchants, and suppliers. It is usually used with sand and cement-based motors. However, it can also be used to make non-hydraulic lime motor. Best results are obtained if the lime has recently been manufactured. It can either be mixed with water to make lime putty, which can be then added to uh, the aggregate to make mortar, or it can be mixed directly with aggregates and water to produce mortar. The properties of mortar made with powdered non-hydraulic lime and lime putty are quite similar. Non-hydraulic lime with hydraulic additives. When non-hydraulic lime mortar is mixed with certain additives known as prosians, which is our finely ground brick dust, for example, it will develop strength more quickly whilst still having a good level of workability. These mortars have slightly less permeability than pure lime mortars. Such mortars may be suitable for use in more exposed locations than pure non-hydraulic mortars. These mortars should also always be added immediately before the mortar is used. Cement is not a suitable additive for lime putty mortar. Natural hydraulic lime. Natural hydraulic lime, NHL, is widely available and is supplied as a ground powder that sets by chemical reaction with water as well as by a longer term reaction with carbon dioxide. Its initial set is faster than non-hydraulic lime, but the actual rate is dependent upon the temperature and strength. It is available in three different strengths. Hydraulic lime mortars have lower permeability and higher compressive strength compared to non-hydraulic mortars and may be appropriate for use in locations that are permanently wet or very exposed. The terms hydrated and hydraulic are often confused by contractors and building merchants. Hydrated refers to the process of converting burnt limestone to a lime binder by the addition of water. And all commercial limes, both non-hydraulic and hydraulic, are hydrated. Hydraulic describes lime that sets partly due to a chemical reaction with water. When considering which type of mortar to use, three issues need to be considered by the, by the supplier. Number one, the type of masonry being repointed. Is it less permeable and more denser materials can accommodate stronger mortars, such as hydraulic lime mortars? If extra strength is needed due to exposure. Next, the condition of the masonry. Masonry that is decayed and highly permeable will require weaker mortar. Number three, the degree of exposure. Areas of high exposure such as chimneys or roof parapet 
can require much stronger mortars. Aggregates. The aggregate contri contributes to the color, texture, and performance of lime mortar. There is a wide range of aggregates suitable for making mortar. The most common aggregate used today is sand. Most sands are compounded and composed of grains of quartz silica, but when this sand or crushed or when it's crushed, well graded limestone, it is useful. It is a useful addition to the non-hydraulic and prolisonic mortars as it helps to speed up carbonation. However, fine stone dust should be avoided or only added in small quantities to help achieve a particular color. Because if used in large volumes, it increases the risk of the mortar shrinking as it dries. For many general applications nowadays, a well-graded aggregate containing a range of particle sizes will be appropriate. The size of the aggregate particles are usually adjusted to suit the width of the mortar joint. Coarse grit may be included in a mortar for rubble stonework, whereas the narrow joints of asher stone or some brick may be, have well-grained sand or crushed limestone may be suitable as well. Historically, other materials such as crushed chalk, wood, and coal ash, crushed shells, and crushed brick were also used for making mortar. These materials, materials are available from specialist suppliers and may be needed to create their repair mortars to match the character and existing historic mortars. Does reporting need consent? For listed buildings in the U.S. and the U.K. or buildings that are scheduled monuments, consent will usually be needed before any reporting is carried out. A sample of the pointing proposed may need be agreed before works commence. Work to buildings in conservation areas could require consent depending on the degree of planning controls in place. In all these cases, the local planning authority should be contacted well before the plans start, date of work, to establish what is required.